It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 136, King Abijah and the Battle of Mount Zemaraim. Assuming we continue with our David Down choice of Thutmose III's placement for Pharaoh Shishak, let's paint the geopolitical situation at this time. Thutmose III has basically conquered giant swaths of territory, and other nations like Jeroboam's Israel have allied themselves with him. Jeroboam has been granted stability for his nation, but I get the feel there wasn't much else he got in return. He solidified his rule, but there doesn't appear to be much else gained for him, probably because he couldn't help but personally remember himself the glory days of Solomon's reign and compare it to his own. Though politically secure, I just get the feel Jeroboam was depressed because he could remember the glory of old and his nation couldn't hold a candle to those times. In the south, Rehoboam's kingdom was pillaged, and he lived his final days as a servant to Egypt. He probably retained a measure of autonomy at some point, and God must have rewarded him, for there was a statement of Rehoboam's humility, and that some good was found in Judah. Rehoboam will reign about 17 years, and when he dies, his son Abijah takes over the kingship, while Jeroboam remained in power in Israel. Alright, at this point a lot's going to happen at once. Using our timeline and placement, it appears Thutmose III is still campaigning, and according to some historians, he's is fighting as far north and east as the Mitanni and defeating them. And he is getting really old at this point. Before Rehoboam dies in the south, and Abijah comes to power, the following occurs to Jeroboam. But before we get there, Take note we are dealing with a lot of similar names, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. They'll both have a son named Abijah, and Jeroboam will be confronted by a prophet named Ahijah with an H. A bit confusing, but hang in there. All right, here we go. 1 Kings 14. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Go disguise yourself, so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah the prophet is there, the one who told me I'd be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about your son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. And when she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? I have been sent to you with bad news. Go, tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart. 
doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other idols, idol made as a metal, and you have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free, and I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it's all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He's the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried, because he's the only one in the house of Jeroboam whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now this is beginning to happen, and the Lord will strike Israel, so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land, and he gave to your ancestors, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed, and cause Israel to commit. Oh man, what a prophecy. How terrible. There was only one way out. In this case, the wife couldn't call her husband on her cell phone and ask for help. The prophecy was that her son would die when she arrived back home. The only way out for this woman and her son was to beseech God and to intercede. And who knows, this story could have turned good, but it doesn't. And this nameless woman at this point could have received placement in the Bible for her faith. But instead, she's known as the woman who bore bad news and death when she entered her home. She runs home, and the moment she enters the threshold of her home, her son dies as judgment. And it won't take long for all of Jeroboam's family to die as well. 1 Kings 14.17 Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Terzah. And as soon as she stepped over the threshold of her house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, as the Lord said through his prophet Ahijah. All right, so let's consider the heart of Jeroboam at the moment. He's seen the power of God and judgment of God against himself, his nation, and now he has lost his son. He could repent and turn for good or become bitter against God. What do you think he does? He becomes bitter. I'm reading into this, but hang in there. As he loses his son, he becomes bitter and bitter against God for taking his son. Jeroboam, who has always been reactionary, needs again to solidify his kingdom again in his own eyes before the people learn the Lord has judged him. In a reaction to the death of his son, he prepares for a military campaign against God and southern Judah. Now, I don't think that this is totally due to the death of his son because there's geopolitical changes going on as well. It just happens around this time. It appears, it appears looking at the timelines, that Rehoboam, king of Judah, dies, and Thutmose III dies, creating a succession crisis in the Egyptian empire at the time. So there's a lot going on. Rehoboam succeeded by Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, and Mekah, the daughter of Absalom. Take note how that seed of rebellion is continuing in the line and kingdom of Judah. As Thutmose III dies in Egypt, there appears to be a dissettling among the conquered nations, which is normal, 
As Thutmose III of Egypt dies, there appears to be a dissettling among the conquered nations, which is normal, and Rehoboam rearms, and it appears that they are allowed, without Egyptian interference, to rearm as a nation and to begin to solidify themselves again. Using David Down's pick of Thutmose III as the pharaoh Shishak, we can see something that happens upon his death. Upon the death of Thutmose III, Egyptians Napoleon, his son Amenhotep II takes over and appears to be a fairly autocratic ruler. He didn't care much for foreign nations, and he appears to be less warlike in nature, and there's not a lot of accounts of battles or foreign wars. He ceases the ongoing conflict with the Mitanni. He most likely minimized his involvement of garrisoning conquered nations, allowing them to peacefully return as long as they were going to not create problems for him later. Abijah, the new king in Judah, does just this. He assembles his army to protect himself and to solidify his rule and his kingdom. Jeroboam uses a weak Egypt to take territory from Abijah in the south. All is going well for him, and he decides to conduct a full-scale invasion of the entirety of Judah, which will result in one of the worst alarming battles in biblical history, if not the largest casualty list in all of ancient history. All right, first of all, let's discuss numbers. By the time of the end of Solomon's reign, there was at least 10 million people in Israel, close to the current population of Israel. Higher estimates can range up to 20 million people or more, and the wealth of the world was concentrated in Jerusalem until recently. The nation divided itself, and Egypt invaded and took its wealth. The greatness of Israel still remained, though. The God of Israel, their heritage and traditions, its people, its greatest resource. This is all about the change in one battle. Jeroboam assembled a most absurd amount of soldiers to invade Israel, 800,000 and marches them south. This was only possible due to the incredible population bloom in Israel from the time of David. The sight of this many soldiers in Israel or anywhere must have been astounding. Rehoboam was able to pull together 400,000 troops. These counts can only be understood because of the population boom in Israel, and the result of this battle is going to be catastrophic to Israel. Also, we need to consider the incredible actions taken by Abijah, though he'll go down as a nasty idol worshiper like his father. But he, like Joab, has one incredible moment on the battlefield. Second Chronicles 13.4 Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim in the hill country of Ephraim and said, Jeroboam and all Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an official of Solomon, son of David, rebelled against his master. Some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist them. And now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hands of David's descendants? You are indeed a vast army, and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods. 
But didn't you drive out the priest of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, and the Levites, make priests of your own as the peoples of other lands do? Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may become a priest of what are not gods. As for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. The priests who serve the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites assist them. Every morning and evening they present burnt offerings and fragrant incense to the Lord. They set out the bread on the ceremonial clean table and light the lamps of the golden lampstand every morning. We observe the requirements of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. God is with us. He is our leader. His priests with their trumpets will sound the battle cry against you. People of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. I mean, unbelievable speech. He's on a mountaintop declaring their faithfulness. Jeroboam had had enough of him touting his faithfulness. He sends a huge force around to destroy Abijah on the mountaintop. But consider this moment, a battle on a mountaintop. Other mountaintop battles include Barak versus Sisera. There was a sort of battle of Prayer Mountain with Samuel, and Caleb took Hebron from the giants. There's abundance of mountaintop battles. All are typically supernaturally resolved, for they represent far more than just men contending with men. Take this one for example. Jeroboam, who leads a larger force, his name means people will contend. His name actually means the people will contend. While Abijah's name means Jehovah is my father. That should be pretty obvious. It's the flesh, the people fighting against the knowledge of God. Versus Jehovah Father. Pretty amazing. Jeroboam, who conspired with evil men, now was receiving his full, and the message will be the power and knowledge that God was the Father of all, had power over all, and when the people contend with God, God will at times remind the people who actually is their Father. Second Chronicles thirteen thirteen. Now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear, so that there he was in front of Judah, and ambush was behind him as well. Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked in both the front and the rear. Then they cried out to the Lord. The priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judah raised the battle cry. At the sound of their battle cry, God routed Jeroboam and all of Israel before Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Abijah and his troops inflicted heavy losses on them, so that there were 500,000 casualties among Israel's able men. The Israelites were subdued on that occasion, and the people of Judah were victorious because they relied on the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took from him the towns of Bethel, Jeshunia, and Ephron with their surrounding villages. Jeroboam did not regain power during the time of Abijah, and the Lord struck him down and he died. All right, did you catch that? 500,000 Israelites fell on Mount Zemaraim. This body count is beyond grasp of our understanding of the ancient world. I was going to compare this body count to other battles in history, and I did an analysis and we don't see body counts like this until Genghis Khan. And a bit prior to this, some of those ancient Chinese campaigns uh, where there was an excessive body count as well. But comparing all these battles, it got a bit weird because, you know, do you consider a siege or a campaign? 
Well, technically you don't. This was just one battle and one day's losses. So for simplicity, let's just quote Josephus on this one. And this is what Josephus said about this battle. And it just gives a simple, profound, concise measure of what happened. Here's Josephus. Such a great slaughter was now made of Jeroboam's army as it is never recorded to have happened in any other war, were it were for the Greeks or for the barbarians. Such a great slaughter as it had never been recorded in any other war. That's what he said. No greater body count can be found in all of ancient history in a simple war, much less a single battle. It's truly hard to fathom 500,000 bodies on a mountaintop. And this was strategically the end of Jeroboam's kingdom. It's so freaky to me that Israel in the time of Solomon, with 10 to 20 million people, will be literally depopulated by the time of Daniel. It will be repopulated by the time of Jesus, and, and way before this, and be depopulated again in 70 AD. That's freaky. And how about after World War II, the state of Israel becomes a nation, and it's repopulated again, and the current population is approaching the population of Solomon's time, and the prosperity of Israel is incredible. So part of the depopulation up to the time of Daniel starts with the split of the nation after Solomon, the civil war, and horrible disasters like this one. Honestly, it's hard for me to understand why Abijah didn't press the advantage and seize all of Jeroboam's kingdom at this point, but it didn't happen. It just says he took us, you know, some cities. Judah took fortified cities and areas, and Josephus said they spoiled the strongest cities. But in the end, it appeared Abijah returned back to Judah and left Jeroboam in charge of his crippled kingdom. Now, Abijah was awesome in his decrees and wonderful victory. But despite Abijah's crowning moment here, he will go down and make the same sins as his father. He will only reign as king for three years. King Abijah will soon die. And here is what 1 Kings 3 states. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. Asa his son succeeded him as king. It's pretty sad how he, his end is recorded in 1 Kings 15. We will spend the rest of the episode discussing more of his famous speech before his enemies. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's just repeat again the speech that called down heaven's armies. It's absolutely fantastic what Abijah did in his defining moment. He's on a mountaintop completely surrounded by enemies that want to kill him, for Jeroboam was on the verge of completing a very successful flanking operation. He stands up on a mountaintop and makes these bold statements. 
The Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. The priests who serve the Lord are sons of Aaron, and the Levites assist them. Every morning and evening they present burnt offerings and fragrant incense to the Lord. They set out the bread on the ceremonial clean table and light the lamps on the gold lampstand every morning. We are observing the requirements of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. God is with us. He is our leader. His priests with their trumpets will sound the battle cry against you. People of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. Wasn't that incredible? Let's just repeat the famous phrases. The Lord is our God. We serve and worship him. Every day we conduct the offerings and incense to God. In essence, every day we live for him and talk to him. And then he just says, God is with us. Isn't that incredible? All right, let's make this personal. God is with you. Can you say that with confidence that God is with you? He is our leader. Can you say that you are in full submission to his authority? His priest with their trumpets will sound the battle cry. Can you use your voice, your trumpet, and cry out to God and sound the battle cry against darkness that tries to come to you? With the words of your mouth, can you say no to sin and darkness? If so, make this your decree that God is with you. He is your leader, and we'll sound the battle cry. God is with us. He is our leader, and we shall sound the battle cry. God is with us. He is our leader, and we shall sound the battle cry. Sound the battle cry, and watch darkness flee from you, and reign supreme over sin and darkness, and walk in authority, because your Father in heaven, He is glorified in your actions and your prayers and your decisions and your lifestyle, for you are a son and daughter who walks with Him. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.